welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, welcome adventurers to a special side quest episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. And King Scott here. And Scott, you know what? I think we need to redefine side quests. We've got a lot of listeners that weren't with us not that long ago. I tell you what, episode 100 brought in a ton of new folks. I so know. thank you all for being here. Yes, very much. A side quest is where we take something that doesn't quite fit into the norm, into the regular episodes. It's too long a discussion or too unique. Sometimes... Boy, we love having designers on for these side quests. We haven't done mm-hmm. it in a while, though. No, no, no. We got we to gotta figure something out there. But that is the purpose. Let's start here, Scott. Before we get into the, the meat of today's episode, I tell you what, man, I am loving playing Arc Nova with you, uh, basically on the daily lately. It has been a very good time. It's been a great chance to play the game, try out different strategies. And the great thing about it is you don't have to take that time to set the game up. And then you want to play your best whenever you have the game set up in front of you on the table. Mm-hmm. On BGA, all the setup, all the teardowns taken care of for you. So that gives you a chance to kind of feel out the water and give different strategies a try and see how things work. And that that has been great. I've really, really enjoyed my time doing that. Yeah, I'm really happy to revisit the game. And I'm, I'm rediscovering how exciting it is whenever you get that opening yes. hand with like a sponsor card that wants you to have birds and you have two different birds in your opener and you're like, oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna make so much money off this. Then you just get the perfect draw. Sometimes things I had a game where I just went nutty on birds. I had another one with that science institute. And I was like, before yeah. the first break, I was like, I have four science symbols. I could pop this science institute card down. And I'm gonna make so much money. You had a game where it must have been, I don't know, before break three, and you had like six or seven sponsor cards that you can oh, click yeah. on each other and say, okay, what does the other guy have going? You know, what's Scott doing over there? He's only got like two in. Holy smokes, his, <laughs> his play area is all blue. <laughs> And that's one of those things, whenever you play it, a lot of times you're worried about doing your best whenever you're playing with people at the table. Because mm-hmm. playing asynchronously, adult beverages what here, you it's on a Friday night. What do you got going on um, We got a little maker's mark tonight. Oh, lovely. Whenever you're playing asynchronously, it's nice to be able to give those things a try where you do a lot of things with the sponsor cards. Whenever you're playing with somebody you're in a real time constraint because you know that game's going to take a while to begin with. Mm -hmm. And playing it turn by turn by turn by turn, you want to make sure you do everything right. So you don't have that chance to really kind of spread your wings, if you will, and try something different. So I did that. I think one of the main factors, you don't want to get goofy because it's like, oh man, there's four of us around the table playing Arc Nova. You know, it's the meeting in the Mm -hmm. minds. We're playing one of the best games that we have in our collection. Oh, I want to do it right. So you tend to, well, me anyway, I tend to lean on tried and true strategies to get myself, you know, a good chance to win. Whereas BGA, it's like, well, it's just Scott and I, you know, I'm just playing here and there in between customers at work, you know, no big deal. Hey, let's give this card a try. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. If he blows me out, no big deal. At least I'll get to see what happens if I sponsor two projects yeah, yeah. in the first, you know, handful of, of turns, that sort of thing. Just wonderful. And makes time fly at work. 
And one other thing I noticed, and I noticed this today, and this really sums up the way that we play games. Yeah. The, the, the both of us play games. Okay. You, we've talked about this before. You like to math things out and get things working out to get you the most, the ultimate amount of points. I, I try to play as efficient as I can. Yeah. Yes. I'm sitting there, I'm looking at things, and I'm trying to make a friendly park. I'm trying to figure out what animals put to next to each other so that it's a friendly place. Whenever you come in, this is the kind of park that I want to go through and see. And then all of a sudden hit me. I'm like, damn, that's why I lose all the time. I'm just, I'm going for the aesthetics in the park instead of, I need points. Uh, We've had some really, really tight games. Uh, Yesterday's game I won, and I was pretty sure I wasn't going to. You were doing really, really well. We've been neck and neck, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to play with Ryan. And he blows me out of the water. It's like 112 (laughs) to 97. I'm like, how's he... How's he getting these big gaps? But, uh, you know, I'm learning a lot and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. What are you yes. bringing to game day tomorrow? Uh, Jenny and Jason are going to join us. We're going to have a little Saturday at the house while Chrissy's at Girl Scout camp with my daughter. Yeah. It's going to be. What, what, what's well, on the I'm menu? Well, I'm going to bring, uh, we got a copy of Princes of Florence. I got to bring in. That's from WizKids that they provided for us. So we're going to give that a try so we can talk about that in an upcoming episode. Mm, okay. Okay. Jason mentioned one that he's going to bring and I honestly don't even remember the name. Of it. He just said it's new and relevant. I was like, okay. But I got this Gempire game that uh, I'm excited for. I think I'm, I think we mentioned this last last episode in After Us for so, the upcoming yeah. game day. Well, we're still one day before as we record this. Let's get on to this side quest, Scott. It's all about challengers. Challengers won the spiel. The prestigious. Yeah. This is the gamer's game, right? Challengers. <laughs> challengers takes it down. I first mentioned this probably four or five months ago on an episode and I was like, man, I don't know if I love it or hate it because it feels so random and yet Mm -hmm. I keep clicking play again, play again, play again. (laughs) And you said, yeah, I'm going to give it a try. I understand you didn't necessarily love it. Oh boy. No, I really, really do not like this game. I have to preface this, that I've been playing it lately in the arena mode on BGA. So mm-hmm. I've been still going at it, trying to play the game. Oh, and you're going against and the I've sharks. And I've been getting a little bit better. And I think we need to talk about that a little bit later. But I haven't just, like, washed my hands of it. I'm giving it its due process and mm-hmm. giving it a try. I don't know. I think we ought to go to an 8-bit breakdown and talk about the game, break it down, and then we'll say what we really think about it at the end. Side quest 8-bit breakdown. I like it. Who's going to do the walkthrough? Uh, why don't, well, Patrick, since you like it so much, why don't you do the walkthrough? All right, all right. Designed by Johannes Krenner and Marcus Flawitschek and published in 2022 by One More Time Games, Challengers is an auto-card battler game for one to eight players. Over seven rounds, players can win matches for points, and after the seventh, the two players with the highest point total square off to determine the winner. At the start of play, each player gets a deck of the same six cards, three of which have a power of one, then a single card with power two, and three, and four. Before the first match, everyone will get a chance to add cards to their deck. For the early stages of the game, they'll get to draw five cards from the A deck and choose two of them to add. Once everyone has their deck ready, they sit down for their match. Now the match is ridiculously simple. You flip a card and you take the flag. Then your opponent will flip a card or more until their sum total is higher than the power of your card. The card you had in flag possession will go to your discard area known as the bench. 
Now whatever card they have showing, you flip cards until you reach one that's higher to take the flag back. Eventually, someone's going to run out of cards and they're going to lose the match. However, sometimes you lose early if your bench fills up. You see, there's only six spaces on your bench, and if a seventh card would be added to it, that's the other way that you can lose the match. After everyone's completed their first match, players all get to deck build again, seeing cards from the A deck, choosing two, adding cards to their deck, maybe removing some for good, and then it's off to match two. As the rounds progress, though, players are going to get to choose from the stronger B deck and then finally from the very powerful C deck. So by the end of the game, everyone's deck's going to be vastly different and far more powerful from where it began. Finally, I should point out that the game comes with really handy pairing cards. You see, with potentially four matches going on at once, it can get really confusing where to play, but they solve this perfectly. Four neoprene playmats make up the play areas, so you just put them out on the table. Then, before each round, you look at your pairing card. So, in round three, I might be in the mushroom field for my match, so I just sit down at the table wherever that mushroom field playmat is. So, as you might have guessed, we're a little bit split on this one, so let's get back to King and get on with the 8-bit breakdown of... Challengers! Our father, gone! They will pay! I, Tatsu, now lead. Let any who challenge step forward. I challenge. Adventurers, it's time for us to go through our 8-bit breakdown where we break down a game into all its special little parts here. And we always start off with number one, the art and components. I was going to say, are you forgetting the 8 bits? It is episode 105. <laughs> Put down the maker's mark. Art and components, Scott. Art and components. I actually did play a physical copy of this as well, too. Mm -hmm. It's it's a game. <laughs> it <laughs> yes, has the cards. Yes. It has nice little mats for you to roll out and everything whenever you have the battles in between each other. Mm -hmm. Cards look great. They have the little punch-outs for the flags, for the trophies, all that kind of stuff. The artwork is fun. It's cartoonish kind of artwork. But the nice thing about it is they have different themes for each one of them, where it's like a medieval world or Hollywood or horror. But it, the theme of the artwork is all done by the same person. So it right. all meshes together. It's not like a really horrible um sudden jerk of like happy go lucky hollywood land to a dark dingy horror world yeah it's everything all is still like happy cartoons huh yes yes so i think that's a nice thing there the artwork has a big part of the card and everything so it does give it a nice presentation there it is a lot of fun with that um but uh, but that's really all I have for the artwork and components. What do you think? Well, not much to add. I do think that that cartoony artwork is a little bit simple. Like, if you look at the cards, like, oh, man, this is like Sunday morning cartoon artwork. It's, it's mm -hmm. awfully simple. But for this game, it works. Uh, you'll recall, we talked about Catacombs a long time ago. The old, oh, yes. You know, flicking the discs and whatnot. And it, I was like, man, it's like clip art, but it actually works here. In mm -hmm. this case, I actually kind of like the... I don't want to call it cheap cartoon artwork, but very, very simple cartoon artwork. And you have a ton of it. There are a ton of cards in that box. There, 
there's a lot of artwork going on. The components are pretty good too for a game that's like forty bucks. All right, if we mm-hmm. if we put that into perspective, this isn't a hundred and twenty dollar production. It's forty bucks. Right? Yeah. When you consider you got three little organizers for the cards from the A, B, and C decks. Right. Each of those play areas, as you mentioned, it's a neoprene rollout mat. It's kind of cool. On the downsides of components, I, I find the cards aren't exactly the highest highest quality. And that little token, <laughs> I don't know if you used it when you guys were playing at the last meetup. There's that little token to show who's got the lead, like who's capturing the flag. So you and I are playing and you play your card. That's a power two. We slide the token to you. I flip mm-hmm. the card off my off the top of my <laughs> deck and it's a power three. I slide the token back to me and you put your card on the bench and then you flip up until you beat. What the hell is the token for? Do we need this token sliding back and forth? <laughs> yeah, one thing I'm just thinking, I'm sorry to jump in here. Sure. I just, something you said just triggers something in my mind is the artwork, there's no sharp lines in it, no sharp angles. Everything right. is flowing and everything. So it's, it is it is kind of like an exaggerated type of artwork. And I think that does something to make it seem more cartoonish as mm-hmm. well. Well, let's go to bit number two, the theme and the immersion, because I tell you what, I actually really like the theme here. You're, so the idea is you're assembling a capture the flag team and you're selecting characters to add to the team. Over the course of several matches, you'll get stronger characters and some of the previous cards are going to get cut. They're going to get cut from the team. Mm-hmm. There's a clear power progression as the game advances and with it comes a bunch of little fun combos and synergies you can find. On top of that, all the cards fall into certain archetypes. Like you'd mentioned, you said you have like the horror, those orange cards, or the green cards yes. are film studios where you get your makeup artist and your uh, the director, that sort of thing. Also, they play around a little bit with the theme. Like, why would a rubber duck be on your team or a butler <laughs> or a T-Rex, for God's sakes? That's fun. You know, it's like, wait, holy crap, I captured the flag team. I can, I'm going to have a T-Rex? Boom, I have a T-Rex. We have a T-Rex. <laughs> I think that's fun. I think that makes the game – it's not meant to be this serious affair. And things like, oh, man, a boom, T-Rex, it makes it that much more silly, right? Mm-hmm. As far as immersion, it's a card battler and with so little control over the actual match portion of play. I don't know that anyone's going to feel like they're on the field of play or anything like that. But theme, I thought, they they did pretty well. Yeah, I, I agree that they do that. All the cards that are in a certain group – they all work well together. And that's a, a special part there that they did that to to work things out. I love the one with the film studio. They have the movie star. And whenever you play that, all the newcomers come rushing all, back into your deck and everything. Because uh-huh. they're like, oh my God, we're seeing a movie star. The butler, he gets to sweep things under the mat. So he takes them out of your bench and puts them in your exhaust pile. So they do have a little fun with the theme of the cards. And yes, I do agree. Whenever you have a T-Rex in your deck, <laughs> you can't help but be a little bit giddy. Oh, yeah. Whenever the, that comes up and it's like, oh my God, I have a T-Rex. How about bit number three, the complexity? Scott, I'll lead because I said like five words. Easy. It's basically war. That's about it. Can you pick cards? Can you flip cards? You know how to play. I take complexity. (laughs) I think that's a good way of saying it. And if you were playing war and each card had a tiny little bit of writing on it to tell you it does something different, that's pretty much the complexity of this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no looking at it and figuring out the strategy of what card you want to play next. It's totally up to luck. You shuffle your cards, you put them face down, 
It's up to luck now. Whatever car comes out and you flip over, that's it. You have no hand. You have nothing that you're planning on. I need so much mana to put this card out. So yeah, no complexity whatsoever, really. Well, let's move to bit number four, the rulebook and the learning curve. I'll take the rulebook because I thought it was done quite well. Uh, it's not really going to – I'm not going to get into it because there's not much to say, which is kind of a good thing when it comes to the rulebook as it means that it wasn't terrible. So learning curve. <laughs> yeah, learning curve, not much to it. I mean because you're pretty much on autopilot. Mm -hmm. Whenever you play the game, you flip it over, you flip over the card. Uh, just learning to make sure what is the bench and what is your exhaust pile. That's something you need to know. But other than that, really, everything is very, very simple, very straightforward, very easy for you to grasp what's going to be happening in the game. So really not that much of a learning curve whatsoever. Right, right. You're going to know exactly what you're doing within like five minutes of playing. Oh, yes, yes. This is a classic case, though, of how to play well. And it's, you know, I'll put play in quotes. And I think that that's the draw of the game. And I think it's because at first pass, it doesn't feel like a game that you can, quote, play well. But you know what? You mm -hmm. start to see certain cards work together in certain ways that are just fantastic. You mentioned the movie star. The layup, the obvious one, is the makeup artist. Movie star puts two ones back on top of your deck. The makeup artist, anytime you flip a one, you give it plus two. Everyone sees that within their first three matches on Board Game Arena, whether they're playing it, whether someone else beats them with it or they just see it naturally. Mm -hmm. Inevitably, you'll pull cards from the B deck and you'll be like, oh, hey, the director, that works with my green cards. Oh, hey, the necromancer, that can put my movie star back on top. That's kind of where you have the, the control in the game. Another good example might be the, a purple card called Merman. It's just one power and oh, it kind of yes. sucks. But if you have a purple card already on your bench, its power is four instead. And boy, in the early game, that's an all-star. But how much so? <laughs> and for how long? And it's going to force you to continue on a path of taking purple cards. Is that okay? Or perhaps you use them for match one and two, maybe eke out some early wins, and then you cut them as you start getting cards in the B deck. Maybe? That's where the decisions happen. And that's just one of some, that that example is one of like something like forty different unique cards that you might find in the A deck alone. Never mind the B and the C. So there is a bit of a uh, a learning curve as far as maybe discovery. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Let's get mm -hmm. to the meat, Scott. Bit number five. Where is the meat in challengers? The meat of the game, I think, has to play off of what you were just saying there. Whenever you're building your deck, you get to select. Do you want? Cards from your A deck or the B deck, or later on from the B deck and the C deck. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at that. And the biggest part, I think, is learning when to let go. Oh, you need to know when it is the perfect time for you to let go of those cards that have been really, really good for you. And you know there's a chance of them working out well, but you have a bench of six characters. Once you get another character, a seventh character, knocked out, and they go to go to the bench and there's no seat for them, boom, you're done. You're done. So you have to learn when to let characters go. And that is a, a really fine line there, trying to figure out when's the best place to let that go or keep it and let something else that might be stronger go mm -hmm. with the chance of that card synergizing with something else that you have in your deck. Right, right. Uh, once you get to the idea that, okay, I know what I have in my deck. I know what I can let go. I know this will take place that there. That is really, really difficult. 
learning when to let go is the biggest part that I think is the meat of the game for me. And that's a part of the deck building phase, which is clearly the meat. Make no mistake, none of the meat in the game is in the actual match, right? Think of it like you're the manager. You're not on the field. Your, Your game doesn't happen on the field. That's for the players. Your game is everything else, which in the case of challengers is selecting the most beneficial cards. And that's not often straightforward, not only as far as what you want to cut, but man... Man, it's tough. Okay, so you get to see five cards. You may take none, one, or two. If you Mm -hmm. take zero or one of them, you may discard the remainders and draw that many new ones off the top of the deck. I'll tell you what's tough is when you flip it and there's two cards that are pretty good. They're not perfect for your deck, but they're the same card. We'll use a a level A card, for example, the, uh, we'll say the pig. He's a three power Mm -hmm. blue card, right? Nothing special, but there's two of them. And that's not going to clog up my bench because they'll stack right. on top of each other. I could just take both of those and add six power to my bench. Oh, but I already have a vendor and there's no vendors here. I really want to redraw so I can find another vendor. <laughs> and then you do the redraw and there's no vendor and you're like, oh, what do I do now? Mm-hmm, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. That is a huge decision in this game and that it just keeps you coming back because for every time you go, oh, no, there wasn't a vendor. Sometimes you do the redraw and you're like, there's two more. Holy crap. I got three. I didn't match two. This is insane, right? That That's the fun. That's what keeps you going. Yeah, I'm going to play again. I want to go again. I want to go again. <laughs> Me, you said it though. Deck building. That's where you're actually like crafting the deck that's going to play. What's going in? What's coming out? Let's move to replayability and variability. Bit number six. The replayability, it's there, yes. You want to see what happens. You want to play the games. You want to play it over. Uh, You want to go back in. You want to rebuild your deck and do uh, different things. Variability, you have all the different cards that are in there. Do you want to go A or B whenever you have a chance to do that? Do you want to keep running with the A thinking that I've got strong cards in A. I can double up on that in order to make my bench deep but narrow. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's like you have a lot more that in there. There's some cards that there are five different, uh, five cards of the same suit, if you will. There's five cards you have in your deck that you can possibly outlast your opponent, but it's only going to take up one spot in your Exactly, just one bench slot, sure. So you do have the variability of the different cards, the different selections that you have with the film land, the horror land, different things like that. So there is a lot of variability with the game as well. So that's where I land on that. What are your thoughts on this? Because I know you have been playing. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit higher on uh, on both variability and replayability. Uh, variables, obviously, in the form of the cards that you're going to select and the various strategies that you have uh, have to ha- like try and get your deck to perform. Let's not forget, like I said, there are a ton of cards in that A card, B mm-hmm. card, and C card stack. By the time you get to the C deck, you're going to get one card and then two. So you're going to see three cards from that C deck. And next game, you're going to see three very different ones. The next game, you might get doubles of one of them. The next game, like that final cherry on top of the deck is a significant portion of play. And it only happens for the tail end of the match. So it's like, oh, I want to get back to that. (laughs) Replayability comes in the form of how many of those little combos can be found. Dude, 
Every one of those colors, those suits has something to offer and, and sometimes just mixing and matching can do some great – uh, stable boys with three power cards, throw in necromancers, that's a deck. Orange cards with necromancers and teenagers, that's a deck. Vendors with basically anything else yellow. Butlers with UFOs and power cards. AI with anything of a power of two. Blacksmith with starter cards. Newcomers with movie stars and makeup artists. I could go on, like I could sit down and make a list and probably come up with 30 different viable, viable archetypes that I think, you mm -hmm. know what, we can maybe identify like in the A deck. I've played enough at this point to say that like the AI and the Sailor and the Vendor, those are the three best cards in that deck. The AI, more so, I think, is the most powerful. Uh, mm -hmm. Then the Vendor, then the Sailor, and then after that, there's a drop-off to get to the Birthing Pod, which is a bit of a wild card, but I think that those are the four most powerful cards. Aside from like, oh man, they pulled double AI. As long as that doesn't happen, there's something like 30 different decks that you can have in the first three matches that are very different mm -hmm. and yet very competitive. Love the game for the replayability and variability. Let's move to bit number seven, downsides. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's something. Now, it's funny. We just talked about playing Arc Nova and how I like to work on the aesthetics of a imaginary park mm -hmm. and forgetting about the points and everything else. A park that no one's going to walk through, a park that has no reference on the real world whatsoever but i'm just sitting there thinking yeah i want to make something pretty for people to go through scott scott's building pavilion land yes yes downsides of this game there is nothing that excites me about this game because it's all just luck driven you you get your cards yeah granted you get your cards that you want to have but you could have bad luck and they all come up at the worst times. You might get a butler that lets you take two cards off your bench and put it in your exhaust pile. Hey, that opened up two parts on my bench. Well, I drew that first card. That's inevitable. It's Scott, I almost useless. laugh with that. That's perfect because every every <laughs> damn time I take a butler, next match, like flip your top card. Boop, butler. It's inevitable. Same thing with the movie star. You need to have two little yes. uh, well, newcomers mm -hmm. on your I draw those, I top deck those to start a match like a champ. Oh, I'm so glad you point that out. Yeah. And it's just those kind of things that just irritate me, really, because I would, I expect this to be more of a game. And this is more of like a carnival attraction that you go up, you pay five bucks, see if you can throw that ring over those bottles. Mm -hmm. If you don't, too bad, so sad, you're mad, I'm glad, bye bye. That's the whole feeling I get from this game. And I get nothing that makes me feel <laughs> good about wasting my time playing this game. Mm. I, I played the game physically with six other people at our uh, last meetup. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought, like, how can I leave this game? Oh, Scott. I don't want to be in this. I did not enjoy this game one iota. It did absolutely nothing for me. But I can stand back and I can see people that enjoy this. Mm -hmm. I think that, hey, all the more power to you. There needs to be those people in this world that like to sit there and watch paint dry. So it's very, <laughs> and very important for these people to have an outlet and play games. Oh, Scott. You know what I will give you is that it is a game that when you win a match, it's not like, oh, wow, I got lucky there. You know, that never mm -hmm. crosses your mind. When you win, it's because things worked out the way that you set it up to. It's like, well, I built yeah. the deck to be able to do that. When you lose, it's always like, 
oh, for God's sake, you know, like, yeah, the, yeah. The game never gives you those nuggets of like, oh, wow, that worked out. It only feeds you the, <laughs> it, 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 it slaps you in the face with the ha ha. Yes, yes. <laughs> it can be very aggravating. Sure, sure. That's a downside, especially, especially when you're not playing with people live. If you're playing on BGA and you're just playing with like rando human from somewhere in the world, it's like, mm-hmm. I want to assert my dominance on this random person so that they know that I'm better than them. And when it doesn't work out, it's so aggravating. Oh, that's my downsides. What do you have for this? Okay, so I will admit that sometimes it is just a luck-based game, sometimes. And I'll give you a concrete example. Sometimes you and your opponent are each down to your last two cards. And you know, because it's match one, that you have your talent and your champion, a power two and a power four left. And you know Mm -hmm. that that's exactly what they have left. You flip your four power, you will lose. But if you flip your two power... And then your opponent flips, oh, therefore, yes. you will win because you're going to flip your four and they're left with a two in their deck, which won't beat it. There's no way to manipulate that. And even if you have a card that can manipulate your deck order, you don't know what your opponent's deck order is, whether it's a champion on top, uh, talent on bottom. So it, it really, truly is like, okay, well, I, you know, this one's in the Lord's hands now. <laughs> in that same department, even if you've played a ton, all right? One of the things I love about the game is the discovery and, and that it rewards experience. If you have played a ton, you're going to start to see these things and start to mark out like, okay, this card is better than that card. I can acknowledge that. Oh, mm-hmm. this one is better than that. Like I said, with uh, ranking the, the, the A deck cards, I think AI yes. and vendor. Okay, so if your opponent knows that too... Well, then you're back to square one. Like, okay, we're both looking for AIs. We draw our initial five cards. Crap, I don't have any AIs. Uh, Okay, well, I got these two cards and they're decent. So you start playing match one and they flip their cards and you see they got an AI and they got a vendor. And it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. crap. So my odds are like 40-60 now. I could still win, but, you know, they they played a whole bunch too. They know what they're doing and they got the better cards early. Uh, Aggravating. That said, let's bring it on home. Bit number eight, where we wrap it up, is was it fun? And who's it for, Scottro? Uh, I've got to be honest here. It was not fun. I did not enjoy my time playing this. It's the whole thing, like you said, it's it's in the Lord's hands now. And (laughs) um, whenever you build the deck and you have no agency over it whatsoever once it's flipped over it's set and it's it's like you've pushed all the codes for the missile to go there's no way to stop it it's just going to go no matter what that not having the ability to strategically play when you want certain things to go where if i wanted to play things early on get things out to beat someone at a certain match okay that's great if I didn't play it correctly and it's at the very end and they have better cards than I do, so be it. I did my best to play my best instead of, okay, I know what's in the deck. I just hope that it comes out at the right time. Mm-hmm. It just did not do much for me. Who's it for? I think it's just for someone that... That likes to watch paint dry, right? <laughs> Isn't that what you said? Well, I'm being a little more politically correct here. This is for someone who they like a light game. They like something where they don't really have to think that much about what cards to play at certain times. This is actually, in a way, it's kind of like a nice way to get them uh, entered into playing card games. Because Mm -hmm. it gives them the idea of deck building 
but without having to worry about having the mana to play certain cards at certain times. They're going to come out at any time that the deck sees fit, but it still gives them the idea of working with synergies in between the different cards to okay. see how one works with the other one. For someone who is getting started in games, they want to learn more. They want to get more into deeper games. This is a nice step to kind of get them in that point there of seeing how things work together and become a bigger thing as a whole. Fair enough. Fair enough. And what did you think about was it fun and who's it for? I'm going to go the opposite. I think this game's tremendous fun. Now, I did yeah. say that it doesn't drip feed you the the satisfaction. It more torments you here and there, but it's so satisfying when a plan comes together. I really like it. I like the camaraderie of an eight-player or a six-player game where you get to go head-to-head with different folks around the table. And then you oh, wow, I like what you did there. Oh, yeah, I mean, I had some bad beats in match three. I was really hoping to find this card and didn't get it. Or, wow, did you say, I got a third one of this card. I think that's fun. I think it's good for getting mm-hmm. the, the table going. And uh, a couple matches will finish early. And when I say early, I mean, like, you'll wait a minute and a half. You know, it's yeah. just enough time to chit-chat, grab a pretzel, and then, okay, let's do the deck building. And the deck building portion is fun, and you get to do it multiple times, right? That's practically, that is the game, is the deck building. Now, who's it for? Yes, I think uh, uh, beginner gamers, because it has a very low barrier of entry as far as how much uh, skill you need, how much uh, uh, prerequisite knowledge to games that you need to have. Uh, That said, though, I think that and I think that a game, you know, I consider myself like uh, a hardcore gamer. And oh, yeah. I really like this. I think I love it on Board Game Arena, which is something that we said about after us last episode. And I, I don't think that that's going to become the trend moving forward because there's plenty that I don't like playing on there. But this one strikes me as the perfect like board game arena game, not async. You got to be live. But man, I'm telling you, you just fire it up and you play somebody, some rando. It's going to take you all of 10 or 15 minutes. You get Mm. to try some goofy strategy. It either works or it doesn't work. And it's like, yeah, let's go it again. You know what? I had two UFOs. I bet if I had a butler, that would work. So you go again and you start and you grab two butlers in those first couple matches and then you don't see the UFO and you're like, oh man, but you know what did work was the butler with this card. Man, if I had a sorcerer, I could play a game where I just try to keep my bench clean and I never cut a card. Maybe that's a thing. And then you discover that there's this card called vacuum in the C deck and you're like, oh, it is a thing, right? I want to play again so that I can make that happen. There is a Great deal of discovery. I think if you're a hardcore gamer, have this one on standby for those game days where like, Scott, last time you were, we had two tables going and there's a little bit of downtime in between. It's like, okay, well, what are you four going to do? We're almost done. We're going to be like 15, 20 minutes. That have been perfect. Okay, let's let's throw it on some challenges. Let me show you guys how to do this. You have new people at your game day that you haven't had at a game day before. You you need an icebreaker that's going to get some combo going or or something that's going to have people interact. Like a player game, you're going to sit down and play a match against seven different people. New Mm -hmm. faces to talk with. That's kind of cool. I like that. To me, I think this game's tremendous. Oh, okay. Well, uh, that's uh, that's a game. Yeah. <laughs> that is Challengers! And you know, I was thinking the other day, we introduce our episodes with, you know, the show that uses your experiences and opinions, and lately we haven't been using enough of your experiences and opinions adventures, so we're doing just that. We put up our posts not, well, um, I was going to say not long ago, but we had them in the guild, we had them mm-hmm. on Facebook, we had them all over the place, we got a ton of responses. We just cherry-picked a few. How about, you had this idea where I read some of the comments of people that 
didn't like it, some of the bad, some of the negative, and then you got to step into my realm and read some of the good. I, I Yeah, I think that will work out well. And see if we, if it taints our idea of what the game is after reading some of these comments. All right. Yeah, let's do it. I'll start with a bad. I'm going to go with Chris. He says, played it on BGA and hated it. Never played it in real life. Passed up at your last meetup because it left such a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> no, I picked Chris because I saw it. He was at the last meetup and uh, this is while we were playing Expeditions. You guys were setting up for challenges. Like, And Chris didn't have a gameplay. He's like, Chris, I think they got room for one more. He's like, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, the play's update. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he ain't kidding. Not a fan. What you got, Scott? Okay. Well, good. We have from David. So I own a small little FLGS, and that's a friendly local game store, in case you're not sure. And this was pushed pretty heavily by us by one of our distributors that is really good at sales, but has pushed games that are not a fit for us. When we first received it, I demoed a copy with a few friends and was vastly underwhelmed by it and felt that it was not really a fully developed game, similar to what a lot of other commenters have shared. When it was nominated for an award, I decided to give it another try, which I did with some of our team via BGA. We immediately fell in love with it. I do think strategic is a better description of the gameplay than skill, stolen from other commenters. And obviously, there is a lot of luck in the game, but to me, that's what makes it interesting. There's enough strategy to keep more serious players engaged, but it's not intimidating for more casual or newer gamers that can't wait for challengers, too, to arrive to increase the variability of faction drafting. And that's kind of like what you said there, that being a heavy gamer, you love the idea of building those decks and trying things, and it's still a nice entry point for other Mm -hmm. people. He points out uh, more strategic than a game of skill, which was stolen from other commenters. That's because I initially, the post was like, uh, is this a luck or luck versus skill? You know, where do you fall on this scale? And a mm-hmm. lot of people were saying, you know what? I see where it's strategic, where you have to have an overarching strategy, you know, when you're making your selections. But as far as skill, you know, skill in the moment, yeah. do I select this or that? Do I do I go harvest wheat or do I trade to get a new worker? You know, there, there's none of yep, that yep. going on where you don't have that same agency that you do in other games. So that, that's where that comment came from. Interesting that he had the same arc that I did where his initial impression was, this, this isn't great. And over time, <laughs> it slowly developed into like, hey, this is great. You know, while I'm thinking about it, one more for who's it for? I didn't throw this in the uh, the 8-bit breakdown, but was it fun and who's it for? You know that person that's addicted to like playing like slot machine games on their phone and like uh-huh. basically app games. This feels almost like an app game because only yes. so much can happen that's in your favor. You only have so much say and yet it's rewarding when things work out. Back to the bad. Jesse, my man Jesse says, I loathe it. Loathe it. Randomly pick cards. Don't even think about anything. Still one. I get the idea of it, but there is no game. <laughs> Jesse, Jesse, that's so harsh. Oh my goodness. Loathe. Loathe. Scott, name something that you loathe. Uh, Pickles. Pickles. Oh, that's a good one. I can't think of what I loathe. Oh, uh, okay. There's a street next to us and people that drive up and in a car that's really loud and it's like, and it's like 11 in the evening. I'm like, why? Why? Especially when our daughter was like two and finally went to sleep. I feel like when I finally go crazy, I'm going to sit on top of that hill with like a thing of spike strips. And anytime one of those cars starts going up the hill, I'm just going to like, well, 
plop, and put it out on the road. I loathe that. Thanks for the comment, Jesse. Scott, give me one good. Okay, well, we will go from loathe to something different. From Mike, he starts out with love it. Love it! There is no denying that the game is heavily luck-based, but there is just enough choice and control to keep it interesting. The game is addictive. And I, I can definitely see that. Yeah, I'm not a big fan, but I can see how this can be an addictive game where you get enough players going together and playing it and you want to play it again and you want to play it again. And the next oh, yeah. thing you know, 45 minutes has gone past. Mm-hmm. So I can definitely understand and see his point. So nice comment there, Mike. Raphael says, in my opinion, for people used to board games and deck building, it's an okay game or a crap game, a lot of luck, uh, just a classic card battle. But for people who aren't used to board games, it's a great introduction to deck building games and the tournament's a fun way to play the game. Personally, I don't like the game, but I have to concede that it's a good game when receiving like non-board gamer types. They love it every time I present the game. Raphael's saying, yeah, for, for the newer folks, and that again, that's that benefit of that low learning curve, man. You just... you. Teach them for three minutes. You're like, oh, they might have one question. Wait, mm-hmm. what about the bench again? But this is what it means. Oh, okay, I'm good. I got it. Love yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. I, I I can get along with that as well, too. Last one we got here is from David. David is short, sweet, and to the point. Love it. 70% luck, 30% skill, 100% fun. Yeah. That is a Kickstarter quote waiting <laughs> to happen right there. <laughs> well David, done, David, you need to get in touch with them. What do you think? 70% luck, 30% skill? Does that, that seem fair? Would you go higher on the scale? I would say it seems fair. It, it's kind of like whenever you send your kid off to school for the first time. Now, I don't have kids sending them off for the first time. Yeah, I was going to say, interesting you're going here. But it's the idea of you have the whole time, a whole five years, six years or whatever, get them prepared, you're setting up the deck, and then you send them off to school and you don't know what's going to happen, and that's whenever you're playing the game. So use that time to get the deck prepared, and then it's out of your hands. However, the cards flip over, that's how it goes there. So they're on their own, and you're on your own whenever you're playing the deck. All right, Scott. So we have played this game a bunch. And to me, it almost feels like people either love it or they hate it. And you know what? You've played it a lot. I've played it a lot. Uh, There was one point, I'm not still, and I'm not trying to be arrogant, but uh, I was ranked number one on Board Game Arena at this one point. Yeah. You know, it was kind of nice. So I feel like between the two of us, we have some credibility in, in mm-hmm. what we're what we're trying to get across. Let's let's maybe come up with some final points, some final thoughts on it between you and I. How about like uh I'll make a point and you see if you can retort. Okay. okay. Uh, let's see what happens here. Strategy. I think there's a lot of strategy in discovering which cards work well together. And I think especially what the keyword experience, a more experienced player can work with that knowledge and they're going to have an upper hand. I think that this game totally rewards experience. I agree with you, but they still only have five cards to choose from and they have to see the right ones each round. So you don't know what's going to be given to you. So it's left Totally up to luck once again. Yeah, and two evenly matched players, it will be who opened what. I'll give you that. Right. But, you know, there's some skill in learning about which cards are better than others. Like, for example, that A deck, that AI, the vendor, the sailor, mm-hmm. maybe the birthing pod, like I said. There is skill in playing enough to acknowledge that this card is better than that card. We see it in a game like Ark Nova. You know, anybody can look yeah. at certain powerhouse cards and go, well, yeah, that card's very, very good. But mm-hmm. it takes a lot of time and, and a lot of experience before you look at something that's, and eh, that doesn't look so good. 
oh, I've played with it three or four times and it's been a game changer. You know how a lot of games have that in them. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of that going on here. Yeah, but if you don't have a choice of that in your options whenever you are drawing cards, but your opponent does, there's really no skill. I mean, the thing is that you are behind the eight ball. You just have no way of overcoming that. Like if uh, if if I don't get, I don't know, Sailor and AI, but my opponent does. Like if I had yeah. to start on Movie Star and then I, I have to draw four new and I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe I get another Movie Star. Maybe I get, uh, nope, oh, nope. crap, nothing else green. I guess I'm going to take... <laughs> skeleton <laughs> yeah 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 okay sure 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 that happens I'll, I'll grant you even worse is when you go into uh into match two and you're back into the a deck and you're like okay so i have this good movie star i have this really weird skeleton and then you have the option between like skeleton movie star and vendor and it's like okay vendor's clearly the best one but i'm already in green orange skeleton's the worst of those three but i already have one maybe i redraw and i find another i can just try and stack skeleton it's that's so i that's a good frustration to me not so much whenever like okay fine i made this this is my deck and my opponent pounds me but i like having to make those decisions i i'll give you that there there is less skill if your opponent just straight up gets the good cards and you right. didn't even have the choice. Okay, okay. It's, uh, it, it takes you back to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory whenever they're talking about opening the uh, chocolate bars to get a golden ticket. Well, Charlie, how many bars have you opened up? One. Whenever everyone else has opened over 100. Wait. So they have a bigger group of things to choose from in order to get that golden ticket. Where if they've played a whole bunch of games more than you, they have more of a knowledge of what to play against you. Golden tickets in chocolate bars? Yeah. That was Willy Wonka? I don't know what version you watched. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Scott, the game is going to task players with carefully managing their deck, making certain that they can put up some big numbers in a fight while not overfilling their bench. What that does to the value of something like Butler... Like, you know, we, mm -hmm. we keep coming back to it's one of those early cards that can actually clean off your bench. Is it a good card? Is it a bad card? You know, I, that is the kind of brain teasing that I love. What if, in our earlier example, well, this card isn't that great. It's a pony. It's a three power pony. It's not that great. But there's two of them. And I could just take those right now. And I'm guaranteed I'm not going to bench. Right. Or do I draw a new hand and I hope to find you know, something more powerful. You know, I started on, on double movie star. Maybe I, maybe I flip and I hope to find a third or find that makeup artist, something like that. I like mm -hmm. that. Sure. But, uh, sometimes you open up and you get a double vendor. Then round mm -hmm. two, you get a double yellow card. So you can run a full 10 without benching. That's Sounds true. good. <laughs> Other times, it seems like it's most of the times whenever I play, you start on a makeup artist and movie star and don't have the option of either for round two. Oh, and you're already man. worried about your bench busting. There's really no skill in that. I mean, you are basically just given like, oh, yeah, here you go. Take these. Make what you will out of it. I, I appreciate people that can go into a sealed deck tournament mm -hmm. and play something and make out of it. But it's something else whenever you're given junk and mm -hmm. it's like, all right, here you go. Make something out of Do it. Do something. Like, oh, God, there's no way. 
So yeah, I I just don't see it. You know what? There there can still be some skill in that second example. I hadn't thought of this, but there are times where I'll just punt around. We used to say in Magic, like, oh, you punted the game. It's when like you have the win on the board and you didn't see it, and you mm-hmm. pass the turn, and your opponent beat you on their turn, and okay. then inevitably your friends tease you like, dude, you punted. That the the joke being, it's third down. You still have another down, you idiot. Yeah. Why are you punting? And you punted. There are some times where I'll just punt around. Like if in your example, if, if I go into deck building for match two and there aren't cards that sync up and I have to run eight cards. So I know that if I won't see all my cards, I will bench before I see all my cards. Right. Sometimes I know that. And I'm like, you know what? That's okay. I will lose this round. But now I have... I have my movie star and I have my makeup artist and I have a vendor and I have this fourth card. We'll say a sailor. I have this fourth card that's good. I'll lose this round. But when I go into next round, I can find a makeup artist or a movie star or a vendor or a sailor. You know what I mean? I'm I'm increasing my odds of finding doubles in round three by admitting in round two, okay, fine. I will not win this round, but I'm keeping all four of these cards in my deck. That's a thing. I've done that before. I, I... Once again, I'm not a lover of this game, but I can understand people that do love it. I can I can see both sides here, but I'm more definitely on the, yeah, I think I'll pass. Well, you know what? You wrote up a lovely, plausible conclusion. So how about how about we end our side quest episode? You give me a, a synopsis. Uh, it, we'll say you don't love it. I think it's great. Uh, you know, it's not Ark Nova. It's not the second coming of Brass, mm. but I think that it's great for what it is. And that's a fun, compact strategy game that beginners can play with strategic board gamers and both can have a great time. Why don't you read your synopsis? I like this. Okay. So, Challengers is a strategy game. A strategy game in which players have to select cards to implement a strategy. And there is some skill involved there. Minimal skill is required during the actual battle, though some cards do offer some player agency, such as a sailor, a juggler, or a butler. Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. also some skill in building your deck to beat your opponent. In a two-player game, the clown is better than in multiplayer. Even more so if your opponent is running movie stars and you'll rarely only have to defeat a newcomer. Good point, yeah. Generally speaking, though, It's a luck game. The battle is practically all luck, and the deck building phase, while rewarding for the player with the more experience, it still requires players to see the specific cards that they know are the best, thus offering a lot of luck in that phase of the game as well. Is that closing the book on Challengers until Challengers 2? Until Challengers 2, and I will still continue to play it. Oh, good. And good. see if I can get the joy out of it. I mean, it's not something that I'm going out of my way that, oh, get out of the way. I got to play Challengers. But I will play it occasionally just to just to keep on keep my mind open to what could be a very fun game that I might be overlooking. Well, Scott, this being a side quest, we don't need a last word. I will say adventures PGX, Pittsburgh yes. Gaming Expo, September 30th and October 1st. That is right around the bend. It's just southeast of Pittsburgh. And you know what, Scott? I looked it up today. A Saturday ticket, I think, is 25 bucks. A Sunday ticket is 20 Whole weekend is 35 bucks. You get to Woo! play all those arcade games that we had when we were kids. Tabletop board gaming. Brown Castle game is going to be there. Steven's going to be selling boards. 
This is an event that you do not want to miss. Come say hi. We'd love to see you there. Play yes, us at class. Please. We're going to be giving away board games and whatnot. It's going to be a ton of fun. If you didn't catch us last week, we reviewed After Us. We have no idea yet what we're reviewing next week because we're going to meet up tomorrow and play games. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 105 Adventure. Scott, I will see you tomorrow. Very good, my friend. You take care. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.